Welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church, and we I'm super excited to be airing the uh, Glory of God conference that we had for our young adults on March 12th. And so the conference theme was the glory of God, Sola Deo Gloria. And what you're about to hear is an audio from one of our breakouts. And I taught this breakout, and it's on the topic of how to glorify God as a man in today's culture. And so if you're a man listening, I hope that this is an encouragement to you as you live for Jesus in this post-Christian world. And if you are a woman listening, I pray that this is an encouragement to you and how you could hold your brothers accountable at church. Uh, and so I just pray everyone who's listening is encouraged. Thank you so much. So my title is uh, Our Life's Purpose. Our Life's Purpose or Man's Chief End. Um, and then my subtitle, it's not really my subtitle, but I don't know why I put it here, so I'm just going to read it. Glorifying God through our masculinity. So I just think that's kind of cool. All right. But what is life's purpose? Uh, I love getting into a room with and being able to speak or even to learn and grow alongside other men in our church. I look at all of you from ninth grade to, I don't know, 29 years old, maybe some of you in your 30s. I have no idea. But I, I look at this group and it's filled with with potential. Um, I'm proud of each and every one of you that you would even come to an event like this when most young men wouldn't. That you would want to come and spend your time with people in community to learn about God. And maybe that's not why you came at all, but still... When I look at this group, I see so much potential for God's glory. You know, almost every revival, even the Reformation, started with college students. The disciples of Jesus, they were all teenagers. How do I know that? Because John, writing his, his book of Revelation in AD 90, early AD 90, if you think about it, Jesus died at 33, at AD 33. So, or, yes, AD after death, right? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you, you do the math there, and John was probably a teenager. Um, one of the disciples, Peter, young people, Jesus surrounded himself with young men. And he used young men, weak, feeble, stupid at times, young men, right? Strong, though. We're strong. At least we're strong, right? And uh, to go and bring the gospel to the nations. And I think when I look at this culture and... In every, every commercial, the guy and the dad is a bumbling idiot who doesn't know how to do anything. And the woman is the most, is the smart, I love women. Women are awesome, all right? right? I'm married to one, right? This is not a slight on women. But why is the, why, why in Mr. Or in the Incredibles is Mr. Incredible the most dull idiot out of all of them, right? The Incredibles 2 is all about the mom going and providing for the family and fighting and dad stays at home and he's just, you know, it's just, our culture just got it backwards, and I agree with those that say we need to bring back, make men masculine again. I, and I look at this group, and I'm like, we could do it. This, God used 12. Well, we got 75 in here. Um, but the world is after us. The devil's after us. Our flesh is trying to lure us. What is life's purpose? As a young child, I used to think about this much I didn't think about this as much, but as soon as you kind of come to the end of your high school, into your college years, you start to tremble a little bit. You're like, what am I going to do with my life, right? (laughs) You're starting to think about that a little bit more. Um, And there's so many competing answers to the question, what's life's purpose? 
and that young men are getting today apart from the Bible. And it could be summed up. Most people, or the world would probably say the purpose of man today or to live today is to, to live your best life now by pursuing your own truth and every desire that comes to your mind and heart that the world has to offer. This is secular humanism or postmodernism. Um, and it's the air that we breathe in our culture. Um, it claims that there is no ultimate purpose or culminating end, but rather we are products of stardust constantly evolving until uh, <clears throat> who knows when and that the purpose of our life is you fill in the blank. Some might even say our purpose is to better society or to save the planet or that there's no purpose. I mean, listen to Richard Dawkins where you guys know who Richard Dawkins is, militant atheist. He says, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is. At bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. How can he say that there's no purpose, no evil, no good? It's because he's being consistent with his atheistic worldview. right? If there is no God and we are just evolving creatures that came from stardust... What is the point, right? And that when you speak, your brain is just fizzing, right? And so when you get mad, your brain is just fizzing. That's, that's all you are. You're just passing particles in time and there is no good. There is no evil. There's no standard of good. We just have to make it up. Postmodernism is the ultimate expression of one, the idolatry of man. It is the modern day Tower of Babel. The point of living is to make a name for yourself, whether that be by your own accomplishments or suicide, which sadly is what postmodern thinking leads to if you're consistent with that. Because what is the point? All you're left with is nihilism. You guys know what that is, that there is no purpose to life. And some people actually believe that. That's where we get school shootings, right? That's why we have an uptick in, in suicides. So people come to the conclusion that there is no purpose in life. That's really sad. It leads to despair. I mean, and to prove this point, listen to the novelist David Foster Wallace. He was not a, a Christian. He was an atheist. And he said this not long before his suicide. It's really sad. He spoke these words in 2005 in, the, in front of Kenyon, Kenyon College's graduating class. He says this, Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or a spiritual type to worship, type thing to worship, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if you are where you tap, uh, if, if they are what you tap your real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. You worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when the time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will, you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about all these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They are our default settings. It's pretty crazy right there, right? You see, we all worship something. We all give glory to something. Pastor John already talked about that. And broadly speaking, we have two options to live for. A life glorifying man or glorifying God. 
And my argument tonight is that one leads to joy and the other leads to despair. And so I would like to propose the option, uh, one that is objectively true and objectively more satisfying than anything this world has to offer, and that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's your purpose. You were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that is the most glorious news. Here's the fact. You will never meet a Christian who makes it their everyday goal to live for God's glory and is not filled with joy and satisfaction. But you will find many people in this culture, in this world, who live to make it their goal every day to pursue the world and live for themselves who are depressed, lonely, and empty. You'll never find a Christian who's living sold out for Christ that doesn't have joy and satisfaction. But those that live their life sold out to the world and its pleasures, you will find many depressed, lonely, and empty. Think of Justin Bieber's recent single, Lonely. (laughs) What if you had it all, but nobody to call? Maybe then you'd know me because I've had everything, but no one's listening and I'm just lonely. I had to cut out a bad word there. So then the question is, what is it to glorify God? Pastor John got in it a little bit. Well, what is it? If that is our end, that is our purpose, what, what is it? Why should we do it and how? And I want to answer these generally and then get specific for us men tonight. And so Thomas Watson, he's this old dead Puritan, all right? He's awesome, all right? He's this dead guy, and he says, there are four ways that we, ant- uh, that we can glorify God, but I'm going to dwindle it down into three. Watson said that we glorify God through appreciation, adoration, affections, our affections, and subjection, all right? So I'm going to take it from 1600 language to today, okay? First, before I answer what it is to glorify God, we need to understand that there, when I speak of glorifying God, it could be taken in two ways. Either to glorify God would be to make him glorious, like to add to his glory, or to declare something as glorious. One is right and one is wrong. God is intrinsically glorious. You can't add any glory to him. If you could, then he would change. Therefore, he would not be God. He would not be immutable. He is intrinsically glory. And so when I speak of glorifying God, it's not that we're adding glory or that he needs our glory. He doesn't need anything. But rather we are declaring what is already there. Instead of, I put it this way, it's like a telescope. To glorify God is to magnify God. Not like a little, not a microscope, something that's small making it big, but a telescope. Something that's glorious already, making it so that we see it, like it's closer to us, right? That's what it means to magnify God. He is glorious, and therefore we do all things for his glory. And so, Thomas Boston, another Thomas guy, he's dead, comments that <laughs> this happens in two ways that, we can, that God is glorified. First, passively. Passively. What do I mean by that? Well, all creation speaks of God's glory. Like today, I was out on a walk, and we have a little pond by my house. And I love spring because spring, to me, um, it, I, I would agree with St. Augustine that it was patterned after redemption. Meaning spring is just an ultimate expression of the resurrection, things coming back to life. And so as I'm walking and I'm seeing every blade of grass, even the dew on the grass and seeing the pond and seeing the bugs flying and the, and the birds are chirping, everything is bringing glory to God. And that's passively. They're not, 
they're inanimate objects, right? Mountains, they don't have mouths, but they speak of God's glory, the stars, right? So there's the passive uh, way that we glorify God just by being created. But secondly, there is the active way of glorifying God when we actively declare him glorious. And how do we do that? Three ways. First is with our heart, with our heart. The problem, so the heart, think of the heart right now physically. It is the very center, the core of your being. It's what moves you. It's what keeps you alive. It's what pumps blood through you. Well, the heart in a spiritual sense is is the same thing. It's what gets you up out of bed. It's the desires you have, the affections, right? And so we, it's, yeah, it's your affections. And so we glorify God with our desires, with our heart, with who we are. The Pharisees, they had a problem. They honored God, God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. So the heart, really, that's where it all starts. It starts inwardly, and then it moves to an outward expression, which we'll get to. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. Glorifying God must start internally before it moves to our outward expression. So the heart. Secondly, with our lips. With our lips, okay? So what comes out of the mouth is what's in the heart. It's what it reveals. Psalm 50, 23, the one who offers thanksgiving and praise as sacrifice glorifies me. Prophet Jeremiah 9, 23 says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. So we boast of who God is with our lips. And here's the practical application is that what is in the heart will flow out of our mouths. So it has to start with the heart and then in how we talk, right? And the problem with so many young men or young Christians today who grow up in a consumeristic environment is that people view worship, when we're talking about lips, giving praise to God, we view worship from the perspective of what we like and how we feel we like to, or like to worship rather than asking the question, how does God like and want to be worshiped? And so when we honor God with our lips, we need to do so in accordance with his word, with how he says that he wants to be worshiped. And so theologically speaking, these two categories of the heart and the lips capture the first four commandments in the Ten, in the Ten Commandments. You must worship God alone. You must not have any idols. You must not take the Lord's name in vain and you shall worship him on the Sabbath. So, there you have the first four commandments, which are the basis of all morality right there. God is to be glorified with our heart and with our lips. And then thirdly, with our life, with our life. So in our actions, Matthew five sixteen says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. I love this quote. A holy life is a life of light. It is a shining light to let a blind world see the glory of God. When we live holy lives, pursuing God's word and his will, we bring glory to him. 
and all of life, our chief end, our number one priority is the glory of God. That is just not our goal and pursuit on Sundays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. That's not the only time we do that. But in all of life, in all, whether you eat or drink, as you're eating Chick-fil-A, you can bring glory to God. How do you bring glory to God while you're eating a chicken sandwich? Well, you think of the ingredients. Somewhere, they had to start in the ground, right? Someone had to grow the, the little chicken up and cut off its head. and then. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know how that, that would be inhumane, right? Uh, I think what they do is they put it in one of those things. You know, you put your neck, the neck in it, and then you just insert a little. Have you seen how they kill chickens? It's really cool. Um, and, and they insert the little incision right in the net. They let the blood, and then you have food. It feeds people. Um, I, I'm an animal lover. I really am. They taste so good. So, uh, <laughs> um, hey. Genesis 1 through 3 talks about this, all right? God gave us dominion over the animals he used to eat. All right, so anyways, but not in an inhumane way, all right? Not in an inhumane way. Anyways, but you think about it. That chicken had to be grown. It had maybe, you know, it had to be fed, and then it had to be slaughtered, and then it had to be prepared. It had to be dri- driven over to Chick-fil-A. Then it had to be prepared in their fryers. Then they, or however they do it, they cook it in peanut oil or something like that. Is that true? Yeah. Yep, okay, right? You think of every little process, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And it all, God, God made that. And not only do you get to glorify God in that, then you get to eat it, and it satisfies your, your body, and one, it puts you to sleep, so then you can sleep for God's glory, and then it gives you energy to live for God's glory. And then you can even share that with your friend and glorify God through sharing it, right? All of life, whether you eat, drink, uh, is for the glory of God. In our lives, right? Now, the chief end, the life's purpose, yes, it's the glory of God, but God also gave us other purposes, like to take dominion, to work hard. There's some other great pursuits. But when those things take the place of pursuing God's glory, that is when they become an idol. But we do all of those things, all things to the glory of God. I'm going to use this as an illustration. Sometimes when we think of priorities... I'm going to spell it wrong. I don't care. Whatever. Um, we, usually, we usually think about it this way. Can you guys see over here? We, we usually go, okay, number one, God, or you could put whatever. Then you put family, right? You have, then you put three, uh, work. Um, and you go down the list, right? Four, five. I don't like viewing it this way because sometimes it's like, all right, Sundays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, I'm thinking about God. I got my quiet time. And then when that's done, all right, I'm going to move on to my family here. And, and it kind of disconnects everything. Rather than looking at it from this way, I'm blocking the... You put God in the center here. And then off of it, you have everything, right? You got work for the glory of God. You got church for the glory of God. You got sports. You got school. You got dating. You got whatever. What, yeah, exactly, right? See, the glory of God being the center of all that we do, and then it motivates us in all of these things, right? So let's just get rid of this, all right? This type of thinking. With our lives. The great work of our life is to glorify Him. It is our end and our first uh, <clears throat> in our first and second creation. In our first and second creation. We are created for God's glory. We sin against God. We have to be born again. 
And that it, then we're born again for God's glory. And so there's three areas of life that we can glorify God. One is in our natural actions, sleeping, eating, all those things. Secondly is in your civil actions. You guys know what that is, civil life? It's like in society with your neighbor, how you work, work hard, how you benefit society. Third is in our moral actions. All of life is for God's glory. Now, let me get even more practical looking at heart, lips, life, okay? How can we glorify God tomorrow? How can we next week start to put some of these things into practice? What are some practical things? First, how can I practically glorify God in my heart, in my affections and desires? Okay. I would make the argument that a small view of God makes for puny worshipers. Basically, your worship or the depth of your worship of God will only go as deep as your theology. Theology, biology, biology, study of life, theology, study of God, knowing God. A small view of God makes for puny worshipers. The way you grow your appreciation, how do I grow my desires for God? Maybe you're just like, you were like me in high school or even some days. I go through this where I'm apathetic. I don't care. I want to sleep. I want to do other things, right? And I don't feel a desire to sing. I don't feel a desire to go to youth group. I don't feel a desire to disciple. How do I re-engage my affections? It's a great question. And the way you grow your appreciation for God in your thoughts and your worship of God within your hearts is to grow your knowledge and understanding of God in his word and through, I would say, studying the doctrines of scripture. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Knowledge knows me. That's what we are to boast in. How can you boast if you don't know, right? If you don't know God, how can you boast about him, right? John 17, 3, Jesus says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 2 Peter 1, 3 says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, much of, uh, so many people think that Christianity is just a mindless religion. Faith is blind, Right? No, it's not. It, 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 there's content. There's logic. There's, there's rationality. There's a renewing of the mind. So how can you worship something you don't know? <laughs> Whoever desires to buy something without even knowing about it, knowledge, understanding who God is, is the source of all genuine worship. And so weak theology makes weak, passive worshipers of God. Now this is, I think, something that all of us can grow in. We live in a culture that prizes the therapeutic feeling and experience rather than the objectivity of the Christian God. And it was the same with the Jews. Paul's indictment against his brothers, listen to this, Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God 
but not according to knowledge. They have like this zeal for God, but it's not based or grounded in anything. And so that's why you could see people worshiping God, seeming like they're worshiping God, but it's, it's baseless. They're just doing it because people do it. I was in Germany and uh, it's dead in Germany. It's really sad. Um, secularism, postmodernism, all, that, all of that has kind of overwhelmed the culture and every church is a museum now. And I was speaking in this, at this conference uh, for students and there's this one girl there and I think that she was, I don't know, she didn't know the gospel, but every time during worship, she went nuts, dancing around in the back and stuff like that. But she had no knowledge of God or of the gospel. I'm like, why? Why is she doing that? It's really sad, actually. That's, that's what it's talking about is we get all hyped up about the Lord. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. One of the things going against all of us is that we live in an instant gratification culture. And so we're so filled with distractions, we don't know what it means to sit and to be still and to ponder and to think. To go on a walk and just to look around and to be enraptured by God's glory in his creation. Some of you do that. I'm speaking generally, okay? We'd rather be distracted by entertainment, right? And you could find God's glory in entertainment for sure. If you love art or movies, I love watching movies and criticizing them. And my wife hates that because I have every, I'm a critic for every movie, right? There's some plot line, right? There's some political pull, like in that Star Wars movie, what was it? Uh, um, was it the one where they drop bombs in space? Like, how does that even work? Um, it's, it's, basically, it's the second one. It's the worst one it's the, of the new ones, right? And then they have this whole subplot where they go and save these oppressed people on this planet. It's, it's so dumb. It's so politically motivated, right? Um, but, so I look at those things and I, and I critique it. Um, that's not in my notes. Sorry. <laughs> but to sit and think, to critique, to, to be thinkers. And so... I want to add also, because I picked on those who maybe don't like to think about theology, and I want to pick on those who have so much knowledge, who study theology, who are just earlier like, yeah, yes, theology, yeah, that's awesome. I want to pick on those people, because I used to be one of these people, maybe I still am, who are in every theological debate, but their lives are either out of control, living for them, themselves, or two, they're, about, they're as cold and callous as a corpse when it comes to their affections for God. They're just cold, no affections, no desires, but they have all knowledge, right? That's not the purpose of theology because it makes God seem like he's cold and callous. And so we need to pick up our Bibles and start in the book of John. Start reading book of John and start focusing on who Jesus is. This is practicals here. And bask over the Lord. We behold the glory of God in the face of of Jesus. You want to know what God's glory looks like? Study Christ. Study the Gospels. Then live in the Bible and then visit great books, Charles Spurgeon said. Three books I have for you. Desiring God, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, and The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Read books that don't just fix your, your everyday practical things, but that focus you on who God is. That's my practical thing. And if you want to grow in your heart and your affections and desires for God, and if you're really zealous, 
You could buy John Calvin's Institutes, and it's the, one of the greatest systematic theologies you'll ever read, okay? And I got three copies on my shelf, so you could just borrow one if you want it, all right? And I haven't read it. I'm reading it this year, but that's a, that's a goal. Secondly, secondly, how can I practically honor God with my lips? First, let me ask you this. Are you a man who is characterized by how you speak of God's glory? Do people know you by how you speak of God's glory or speak of God? I think young men in particular, what are we known for? We're known for our non-classy language, <laughs> locker room conversations, on the job site, the factory. It's not pretty at all. <laughs> Some of you know this. And it's easy to jump in. There's a time in my life when I, I went to public school growing up and I went to private school and I was homeschooled. But while I was at p- public school, there's a period of my life when uh, me and my buddies thought it was cool and funny just to swear every now and then. So dumb. So dumb until you say it out loud when someone that goes to your church is in earshot and hears it. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? Right? We could fall so easily in using our lips to glorify ourselves or to bring attention to ourselves rather than to lift high the name of Jesus. And I think specifically evangelism, right? When was the last time we got to share the gospel, to speak of Christ? I know what I love about my buddy, Luke, Luke uh, Avendroth. I roomed with him. It's like, it doesn't matter the conversation. He just starts speaking about God. Like he doesn't even care if the person doesn't even go to church. You might think that he's a jerk. He's really nice about it. But he'll just be like, hey man, how was your day? And you know, how was your weekend? It was good. How was yours? It was great. I went to church and the pastor started talking about this and he just go into the whole sermon. Next thing you know, he's preaching the gospel to this guy. Like he's always talking about Jesus. And I love being around people like that. And it's daunting, but I would just challenge you. Are you someone who is giving God glory in how you speak? <clears throat> Another point on the lips when it comes to worship and singing. You know how to tell a church is healthy. You know how to tell a church is healthy? Question mark. You're at a healthy church. It's when the men outsing the women on a Sunday morning. I'm serious. I mean, most of the time it's the women that are dragging the men to church. Like, come with me. Like, you know, mom's getting you out of bed or wife loves Jesus and is with a husband that doesn't love God and saying, I want you to come. Or he maybe only comes on Mother's Day because she has, you know, it's Mother's Day, you're coming to church with me. See that a lot in our church. But there's nothing like when men sing louder than women. Like I said, nothing against women. When for once men are louder than women singing, that is one of my favorite things to hear. Why, why is that? Why is it that usually the women are louder? <laughs> I, I'm just going to leave it there. I don't know. You can talk about it later. You're laughing because that, that could have sounded like a slight towards the women. Like they're not typically louder in general. That's not true. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to sing. Tonight we're going to sing, and you have an opportunity to put this into practice and to sing loud. Let's go. Tim's laughing out there. Come on, man. Come on. We could do it. We could sing loud. You could sing loud, joyfully, and if able, on key, but if not, who cares?
go. <laughs> lastly, 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 how can we practically bring glory to God in our lives as men? Well, for one, I would say by making men masculine again. I would. That's how we bring glory to God in our lives, okay? Our culture is on an all-out assault on biblical masculinity, which has created in our society what C.S. Lewis calls men without chests. Men without chests or castrated geldings. That's a horse that's castrated. That's what C.S. Lewis, Lewis's words. Like we live in a culture that feminizes men and neuters men from actually being men, from, from living for God, from being leaders, for protecting and providing. And some of you, this is really hard to hear because you have fathers that weren't good fathers. They aren't. You don't have a good example, but you do in scripture with our heavenly father who is a provider and a protector. And you, even tonight, being here, you have an opportunity to be the first link in the chain of your family and future family that lives for God's glory in a way that brings him glory, that isn't a jerk. And when I use the term masculine, I don't mean eating meat, being athletic, and growing a beard. I'm talking about virtues, characteristics, uh, character qualities of people, the men that are not passive, but are strong, courageous. I'm, I'm not strong physically. There are women at peak that bench more than me, okay? <laughs> like, I see them, and it is embarrassing, but I, all I know is that when someone comes knocking at my door at three in the morning, I'm not saying, Caitlin, can you go get the door? Can you, go, you know? No, that is my job, right? Character qualities, being strong, courageous, protective, and hardworking. Hardworking. Working hard at our jobs, even in the most mundane, boring jobs. Even when your boss is a jerk, you outwork your boss. Why? Because it brings glory to God. Pastor John was already talking about this. We've lost this vision of what it means to be a man. And so I just in this talk, I hope I'd recapture that because like I said, I see so much potential in each and every one of you. You're made in God's image with gifts, with abilities, with, with personalities that God has given you to glorify him. I love what Paul says. This is what it means to glorify God in your life. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And 1 Timothy 4.12, this is a word for you. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In purity, not impurity. Take responsibility. Take ownership. Be pure. Tonight may be the night that you sever ties with your sexual immorality. I pray that that would be true. I think pornography has a grip on many of, many of you, probably. It had a grip on me at one time in my life. And it makes you passive. It makes you, it feminizes you. It, 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 you start objectifying women. You start to view all of life as thinking about how you could gratify your own desires. It doesn't make you a provider and a protector. It makes you a thief 
Because you want to steal from someone else sexually. We go on and on. You want to glorify God in your life? Be a servant. Be a servant here at this church. Take ownership over a ministry in our church, over serving, over greeting, whatever it is, or in your church. Some of you don't go here. Why? Why, why all this? What are the reasons? One, you are created and owned by God. And when you are pursuing the end for which you were created, and God is not, God is a good God. He's a perfect God. He's all wise. And so if he said that your life is meant to glorify me, then you can trust him that when you do that, you will find the most joy and satisfaction because that's what you were made for. Second is redemption. We do, we, we live for God. We glorify God because we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. I love this. 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God. That's the reason. Because Jesus hung on that cross for you. And third, reason why we glorify God is because he has given his word to us to instruct us, to guide us and what it means to glorify him. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us and he's given us the promise that the future kingdom is ours and that this is the only hell we'll ever live. But one day we will spend all eternity glorifying God in the new heavens and new earth. This earth, I believe, which will be made new. I want to end with this quote. It's by Charles Spurgeon. He's talking about fearing God. What does it mean to fear God? And I would say the same thing. It means to glorify God. I'm just going to read this to you and then I'm going to pray. He says, Blessed is the man whose heart is filled with that holy fear which inclines his steps in the way of God's commandments inclines his heart to seek after God and inclines his whole soul to enter into fellowship with God that he may be acquainted with him and be at peace. What is the fear of God? I answer first, it is a sense of awe of his greatness. Have you never felt this sacred awe stealing insensibly over your spirit hashing and and calming you and bowing you before the Lord. It will come sometimes in the consideration of the great works of nature, gazing upon the vast expanse of the waters, looking up at the innumerable stars, examining the wing of an insect and seeing there the matchless skill of God displayed in the minute or standing in a thunderstorm watching as best you can the flashes of lightning and listening to the thunder of Jehovah's voice, have you not often shrunk into yourself and said, Great God, how how terrible art thou. Not afraid are you, but full of delight like a child who rejoices to see his father's wealth, his father's wisdom, his father's power. Happy and at home, but feeling, oh, so little. We are less than nothing. We are all but annihilated in the presence of the great, eternal, infinite, invisible, all in all, in the presence of God. We serve a mighty God who is glorious.
And he has made us to glorify him and thus to enjoy him forever. And so as young men in this church, let's make that our end. Let's leave this place. Let's go and sing in the next session and prove that. That I'm singing with my lips and with my heart and with my life. I'm giving it for God's glory from here on out.